We're looking at Esther's story, but I want us to look beyond Esther's story. In fact, if you want to just be ready for it, you could open in your Bible to Hebrews. There are two places in Hebrews we're going to look at when the time comes. But it's because we're trying to do this series within the series. We're trying to do this, this mini-series because, because here's what I think. I think. I think that we live in this very weird between times right? Because God put eternity in our hearts. And someday, someday, the tabernacle of God will be with men and he will dwell with them and we will, he will be our God and we will be his people. But in between, in between the garden and the new Jerusalem, in between, we live with a separation anxiety that comes because we can't see him face to face. We're made in his image. But we can't see him. We're made in his image. We're made to be in his presence. But remember that line when John talks about it, he says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And every now and then, every now and then, whether it's standing on the lip of the Grand Canyon and looking out, every now and then, maybe it's, maybe it's watching the sun come up in the morning or, or, or watching as the Lord puts it to bed at night. Every now and then, there's this glimpse we have that sees beyond the horizons, right? Every now and then, there's this taste of eternity. But for most of us, most of us, we know what it is to sort of live with a sense of exile. This world is not my home. Pilgrims, strangers, nomads, aliens, that's who we are. That's who we are. This world is not my home. The Esther story gives us a glimpse of that. Let me, just, let me just read you something before we ever get to Esther. Let me just read you something I've got marked in my Bible. It's, it's the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes to the people in exile. And he writes a letter to the people in exile. And he says, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives that he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. He just says, build homes there. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children and then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Multiply. Don't dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord says. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I'll come, I'll come, and I'll do for you all the good things I promised, and I'll bring you home again, because I know the plans I have for you. See, here's, here's, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that we, our, our experience in this world below, that our experience in this world below is almost like living underwater, and we weren't made to breathe underwater so how do you find hope in exile how do you learn to live in the meantime here's some questions I'd like you to just just sort of have in your mind and chew on and then we'll come back to them in just a little bit but 
But uh, this line, this line from Esther, you know it so well if you know the book of Esther at all. That famous line, who knows, but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I believe, I believe that you're here today because God wanted you here today. Call me crazy, but I believe the sovereignty of God has something to say about whether or not you drug your carcass out of bed and came to church. It's interesting to me, Mother's Day, Mother's Day, what do you want for Mother's Day? I just want you to come to church with me. Father's Day, what do you want for Father's Day? I just want you not to make me go to church, (laughs) right? But you're here today because God has something he needs you to hear. He has something that you need to hear from him. Who knows, but that you're here today for just such a time as this. So, so what do you want to be known for? We're, we're on the story of Esther today. Esther, Esther one, of the, one of the great female leads in all of Scripture, yeah? I mean, it's Mother's Day, you know, but we, we, we don't know if Esther had the privilege of being a mother. We don't know. We don't know. All we know is this little sort of parenthetical chapter out of the life of Esther. We don't know. We don't know how she aged. We don't know what her opportunities were beyond the pages of this book. We do know, we do know that Esther suffered the loss of both parents at a time when a girl needs a mom. But somehow in God's sovereignty and his grace, Esther becomes one of the most courageous pictures of what it looks like to be a woman of God, to walk in bravery and courage, hear God's call and respond to it. We know that. We know that about Esther. What do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? I remember times in my life when I wanted to be known as the smartest guy in every room. Lived my life, worked hard to be the fair-haired golden boy. Wanted to grow the largest church more quickly than anyone else. Wanted to, be, wanted to have all the answers. Wanted to be the guy. Wanted to be the guy. I've been thinking quite a lot lately because I've had opportunities to spend a lot of time with, with uh, just some really wonderful young guys in whom I kind of see my 30-year-old self. I've been thinking so much lately about Man, I wish I could go back and talk to that guy. I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back and tell him some of the things that I know now that I didn't know then. What do you want to be known for? Do you want to be the smartest guy in every room? What do you want to, do you, do you want to be known for the car you drive or the house you live in? What do you, what, what do you want to be known? Do you, do you want to know? Do you want to be known for how your kids turn out? You've been around the block long enough to know that's, oh, that's a chase you will never win, right? Because there, there was a time, there was a time when you, could, when you could have something to say about what your kids put in their mouth, but no more. There was a time when you could determine who your kids got to spend time with, but that day came and went. There was a time... There was a time you could direct, you could direct their behavior, their path, their likes, their dislikes. You could shape and you could mold. The cement was wet. But if your kids are the age of my kids, 
A long time ago, they started making decisions and they stopped asking my opinion. What do you want to be known for? Who do you want to be known for? Let me ask you this one. I mean, just in terms of of life in exile and, and, and honestly, learning how to breathe underwater, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Because I, I think that's a really common experience among Christians in our day. I think that's a really common experience among, among our own church family when we gather, when we meet to pray. How many times does somebody say, man, I need y'all to pray with me about this because there's this person I love and here's the situation. And, and how many times do we even get to the place where we say, I don't even know what to pray for. I don't even know what to ask the Lord for. You know, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And then here's one, because, because if, you watched, if you watched that video that Jason put together to help you with the book of Esther, you know that the book of Esther is the only book in Scripture, the only book in the canon of Scripture that, where, the, where the name of God never shows up. It, it, God is never mentioned by name in the book of Esther. Never, never once. So what do you do with the hiddenness of God? What do you do? What do you do with the God? Because, and here's the thing, y'all, the hiddenness of God becomes one of the lead characters in this whole story. I mean, God is on every page. Don't get me wrong. God is in every paragraph. But his name is never mentioned. And how many of us live with this, with this experience of God? God, I know you're there. I just can't see you. God, I know you're there. I just can't hear you. God, I know you're there. I just can't trace your fingerprints or find your footprints. God, give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. God, I'm desperate to find you. What do you do? What do you do? Can you trust God in the hiddenness? Because the hiddenness of God, the hiddenness of God is just, it's our life. It's our experience. There's this line. There's this line. I put it for you there. It's in Second Chronicles 20 verse 12. We, we, we read it a couple of weeks ago in our reading, every word all year. We, we came across it. But there, it's one of the times when one of the good kings was in a bad situation. And here's what he said. It's Second it's Chronicles 20 verse 12. It says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You ever find yourself in that posture? Crowd participation. You ever find yourself in that posture? Raise your hand. Yeah, we don't know what to do, Lord, but our eyes are on you. We are looking to you. You are the author and finisher of our faith. We don't know what to do, but you're the only place we can turn. The question is, how soon do you come to that realization? Lord, you're the only place I can turn. You know you're going to land there eventually, right? How quickly do you go there? Lord, you're the only place I can turn. I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you. And how about this? And we don't even know what to pray as we ought to pray. Paul told us in Romans, we don't know what we ought to pray, but in those times, in those times, the spirit himself is able to make intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. Can I tell you where the real, where the real confusion comes? The real confusion comes when I think I know what to pray. Does that make sense to you? Those times I say, Lord, Lord, if you would just do this and this and this and this, and if you could get it done by next Thursday, that'd be great. The times when I do know what to pray, those are the times I'm the most deceived. It's the times when I go before the Lord with this shrug of shoulders and lifting of hands and surrender. God, I give up. I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. Lord, I don't even know what to pray. I don't even know how to pray as I ought to pray. 
And you think, you, you think you're going to pray and you get down on your knees. Maybe you ever, you ever get to the place where you actually get desperate enough to get down on your knees? Boy, if you ever find yourself there, you know you've exhausted all your options. And you find yourself on your knees. And if you're lucky, you got somebody to be there on your knees with. And you think you're going to pray and you open your mouth and all that comes out is this guttural groan. Is all creation groaning? It is. It is. Let me take you for a minute to a couple of psalms that I was just spending time in. I, I've, I've been telling Jason, I, I've, I've got this love affair going with the psalms lately, uh, the last couple of years, year or so. I just, I just want, I just want to be, I just want it to be one of those deals where you squeeze me and the psalms come out, you know. And so here's, I was reading this this last week, and I was thinking about Esther, and I was thinking about life in exile, hope in exile. I was thinking about how do you learn to breathe underwater when you're in a, a place that you weren't created for? How do you, how do you learn to live that way? Psalm 130. From the depths of despair, Lord, I call for help. Hear my cry, Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Life in exile. Life in exile. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, if you kept a record of my sins, who, Lord, could ever survive? That's life in exile, isn't it? I mean, that's our experience. Lord, I'm keenly aware that I have no right to go charging into your presence. Lord, I just, I just, if you were to keep a record, and yet, Lord, I am counting. You offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. That's Psalm 130, verse 4. He says, I'm counting on the Lord. I've got that highlighted in my Bible. I'm counting on the Lord. What are you counting on? I've spent too much of my life counting on my Citibank card. And when that ran out, there's Discover. What are you counting on? Are you counting on your job? Are you counting on your career? Some of you have had those experiences where they come into your office on a Friday afternoon and say, hey, by the way, as you get ready to leave, go ahead and take all your stuff with you. What are you counting on? Are you counting on your career? Are you counting on your kids? We already went over that one, didn't we? Are you counting? What are you counting on? The psalmist says, the psalmist says, I'm counting on the Lord. I've put my hope in his word and I long for the Lord. Psalm 131, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. I love that line because for too long, for too long, I wanted to be the smartest guy in every room. It's exhausting. Have you ever been there? It's exhausting. I love this picture. Lord, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child at its mother's breast. I love that picture. The child that would once whine and cry, now, now, at a place, at a place of growth, a place of newfound maturity where I can just be in the arms of love, not crying out, not whining and complaining, but just resting in the presence of the one who loves me. What are you counting on? 
I want to give you a couple of prayer patterns. Now, now here's where I got in a bind in the last message because, because I tried to tell too much of the Esther story and my time got all out of whack. You read the story, right? You read the story? Just go ahead and lie to me so I feel better about it. You read the story, right? It's the story, it's the story of, this, of this refugee in exile who wins the lottery. I mean, it's the most unlikely story of rags to riches. And, and it's this incredible moment because, because Esther, Hadassah, you know, and, she, and she, is, she is crowned queen of the world. I mean, if this was a Disney story, we would all go watch it if Disney wasn't making a mess of things. But it's a beautiful, beautiful story, the unlikely transformation. But it's predicated on this. Nobody knows who I really am. Nobody knows who I really am. I don't know if you've been trying to live your life in exile, trying to keep your identity a secret. You know, you've found hope in the Lord. You've found hope in the Lord. But if you were to actually let your head break the surface of the water at work and take those people that you, that you genuinely do love and care about, that you would love to see fall in love with Jesus, if you were to actually lift your head long enough to tell them who you are, Reveal to them where your hope is found. It might just ruin everything. It might just, it might just spoil every relationship you have. It might, just, it might just end your fast track. It might just foul up everything. Until you get to this place, this place, let me read it to you, where, where Mordecai speaks to Esther, and he's, he tells her what's going on. He tells her about the, the genocide that's about to happen if somebody doesn't do something. He tells her, he tells her about the Holocaust that's about to go down if someone doesn't do something. And he's grieving, and he's in sackcloth and ashes. And Esther, she, she sends him clothes and says, you're, you're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing yourself. Get out of those grave clothes, those mourning clothes. And he won't do it. And he sends back the answer, and he says, he says, you need to go to the king. This is Esther chapter 4. You need to go to the king. You need to beg for mercy. You need to plead for your people. And Esther says, don't you know what's on the line here? Everybody knows. Everybody knows. All the people in all the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his golden scepter. I don't know if I don't know if you I don't know if you I don't know if you pray in pictures. I pray in pictures. And one of the pictures I pray in is when I come before the Lord and I have no right to be there. If you come before the Lord and you have no right to be there, you know things could go all Indiana Jones on you if you're not careful, right, Brian? You could, you could just melt because you're in the presence of the power of the universe. And what gives you the right to come? Unless God holds out that scepter and says, you're welcome here. So I want to offer you a couple of prayer patterns. Just, just learning to live in exile. Just learning to find hope, you know. How do, you, how do you breathe underwater? 
Esther says to Mordecai, she says, she says, okay, okay. She says, I want you to call all of the people together. Call all of the people together and fast and pray. Fast and pray for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day, and my maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king, and if I must die, I must die. Because Mordecai has already told her. Who knows, Esther? Who knows? But that you have been brought to this place for such a time as this. And if you don't go, if you don't go, he, Mordecai says, salvation and relief will come from another source. But don't be confused. You won't survive. So she says, fast and pray. And I'll fast and pray. And when the time comes, I will step into what God is calling me to step into. Nehemiah has a prayer pattern that's kind of somewhat similar. Let me just give it to you. In, in the little book of Nehemiah that comes right before Esther, Nehemiah goes before the king. Kind of a similar story, really. Kind of a similar story where he's not, he's not sort of taking the boldness to really express his faith. And so when he comes before the king and the king realizes something's wrong, Nehemiah prays this way. He says, listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. And please, Lord, grant me success today in the eyes of this man, the king. Grant me success today. It's a prayer pattern. It's a prayer, it's a prayer method. It's a prayer strategy. Lord, grant me favor today in the eyes of this man. I, I, I prayed that this morning. I did. I prayed that this morning out by the dumpster. I asked God to give me favor in your eyes. I did. I asked God to give me favor in your eyes because I know that on any given Sunday, there, there are some people who come that aren't necessarily buying what I'm selling, especially on a day like Mother's Day. And I asked the Lord to, to grant me favor in your eyes so that, so that you could at least give me the benefit of the doubt and listen long enough to see if the Lord sort of, sort of uh, awakens something in your heart. That's what I was asking. I was asking, Lord, Lord, would you grant me favor today in the eyes of the people? And then Nehemiah uh, prays this. The king actually asked the question, how can I help you? What, what, what do you need me to do for you? And it says, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. With a prayer to the God of heaven, there was this lady that Steph and I knew at, at our previous church a, a lifetime ago, Bernice, right? And she, was, she said, those, those are my apron pocket prayers. And we were like, you're going to have to help with apron pocket prayers? She said, yeah, those little prayers that you just throw up in the moment. Those little prayers that you just take and, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need your help. You ever had, maybe you don't wear an apron, so you don't know what I'm talking about, but I bet there have been times, I bet there have been times that you've, you've been in a conversation and, and it hasn't gone very far before you realize I am in way over my head. And it was probably with your wife, right? And you're just in this little pocket prayer that says, Lord, please don't let me say anything stupid. Or if it's too late, Lord, in Jesus' name, would you just take what I just said that was pretty stupid? And Lord, would you, just, would you somehow give her the interpretation of tongues that she can hear my heart instead of hearing my words? You ever had those kind of prayers, those kind of moments, those in-the-moment kind of prayers? Lord, I need you now. I need you now. Nehemiah shows us a prayer pattern, I think. You know, just, just, just a way to try to survive in exile, just a way to try to breathe underwater, you know? I told, you, I told you we would land ultimately in, 
in Hebrews, right? So let me, let me take you there, just the Hebrews prayer pattern. There's two places, there's two places, and, and I've got them listed for you there, Hebrews 4.16 and Hebrews 10.19 to 22. But I want you to hear this, listening for, the, for that moment. If, if I go into the throne room of God, we sang about it. If I go into the throne room of God, how can I go? This is me, you know. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Clean hands, pure heart. That lets me out, right? So how am I going to go before the throne of God? Hebrews chapter 4. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And I just have this picture in my head of coming sheepishly into the throne room of God. And God, because he is who he is. And frankly, because he loves me. Because he loves me. Smiling when he sees me. And extending his golden scepter. As if to say, you didn't know it, but you are welcome in my presence. There's this, there's this other part of, of Hebrews chapter 10. He says, look, since we have this great high priest, by the way, the great high priest, that's Jesus. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. Since we have this great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go boldly into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting in him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus to make us clean and our bodies washed with pure water. What is the prayer pattern? What is the, what is the permission, right? What is the permission that we have to go boldly before the throne of grace when you don't know what to do? When you don't even know how to pray like you ought to pray. And you want to just get to this place in your life where you say, Lord, I just want to be known for you. I just want to be known for you. Esther, are you going to be known is the queen of the universe? Are you going to be known as the most beautiful woman in the kingdom? Are you going to be known or are you going to be known as the woman who prayed and went boldly before the throne of grace and then throwing caution to the wind you said I will obey. And my life is in his hands. If I die, I die. Because we're pilgrims and strangers in this world below. And it feels like, feels like living in exile. And it's hard. Like trying to learn how to breathe underwater hard. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute? Maybe you've found life to be kind of suffocating. Maybe you've found it hard 
to keep living with hope when the answer seems far off. Go ahead and build you a house. Go ahead and plant your garden. Go ahead and marry and have children and give your children in marriage because you're going to be here a while. Maybe you find yourself in those times when you're, you're having those longitudinal prayers, right? Not those instant prayers, Lord, if you could just take care of this problem, the deadline is next Thursday. But you're in a time where you say, Lord, I don't know how long this is going to take. I don't know how long it's going to take for this person that I love to come to the place that they know you. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know how many rounds of radiation I'm going to have to go through. Lord, I don't know how many. I don't know how many interviews I'm going to have to go on before I finally... It's a longitudinal prayer. And it tests your endurance and your perseverance. And it feels like breathing underwater. It feels like going through a tunnel, but you don't see a light at the end of that tunnel. And you don't know how long it is. And so, Father, we just throw ourselves on your mercy. Lord, we throw ourselves on your grace. Lord, we just confess. We just confess that we are pilgrims and strangers in this world. And this world, it's just, it's not my home, Lord. And I need you. 